Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Brian Wazolowski, and it's time to talk tech. Calls for the regulation of so-called big tech are coming from all directions, and while the proposed interventions vary widely, a common refrain is that these companies have too much power. A new ebook, The Case for the Digital Platform Act, takes a deeper look at some of the challenges posed by the increased power of digital platforms and proposes the creation of a new U.S. government oversight agency to shape regulations in the space. Harold Feld, Senior Vice President of Public Knowledge, is the author of that book and our guest on Tech Talk today. Welcome, Harold. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it is such a pleasure. So, do you think big tech and major digital platforms have too much power? But maybe before you answer that, define di- digital platforms for us so we know we're on the same page. Well, it's important because one of the approaches that I, I take and I think is important is we're talking about a sector of the economy. It's easy to get mad at a specific company like, oh, Facebook is in the news this week. I hate them now. Amazon's in the news this week. I hate them now. That's not what Uh, we make policy on. Uh, What I try to do here is take a look at, okay, first, what is a digital platform? And uh, what I uh, look at in particular is I say, well, the big things about this are, first of all, these are businesses that are delivered over the internet. And that has huge implications for the cost structure, uh, the incentives, the uh, normal investment that you would have to make. Uh, The uh, next thing I look at is these are um, multi-sided markets. This is uh, something that has been around for a while. We talk about network effects, but Mm -hmm. the nature of these platforms, because they allow people to play multiple roles simultaneously, you can be a uh, product reviewer, a product buyer, and a product seller all at the same time on Facebook or Etsy or any of these retail platforms. Or you can be a content creator and a consumer uh, all at the same time on Facebook. Facebook, uh, or any of these social media platforms. So this produces particularly powerful network effects, which amplify the uh, um, the power that these companies have and also create incentives for them to engage in particular types of anti-competitive behavior. Uh, in particular, something that they call in Silicon Valley blitz scaling, which means pumping yourself up so quickly that you can capture a whole segment Mm. of the market. You know, nobody else can ever catch up to you uh, uh, because these network effects are just so strong that if you win this race to the top of the mountain, that nobody's going to be able to push off. So back to the first question, do you think that some of the, I'll do the air quotes, which folks can't see, big tech Do you think some of them are too big? Do you think that, you know, kind of antitrust is a way to look at or competition law is a way to look at addressing some of their challenges or some of the societal problems they're creating? Well, the way I look at it is they're now too important and too Mm. embedded in our economy and in every aspect of our society for us to let them just make their own rules. And for me, it's not a question of, are they good companies or bad companies? Is a good person or bad person? It's the same with uh, things like 
uh, broadband access or medicine or agriculture or any other specific sector of the economy that we look at and we say, hey, you know, this is just so important that somebody has to be keeping an eye on these things. And particularly when we're talking about uh, companies that have the potential to significantly impact our democracy itself, uh, then that is the kind of thing where we really need some kind of public oversight to make sure that things don't run off the rails. So we're going to get to your solution on this, but what are some of the things we're seeing policymakers suggest right now? I mean, I've watched and seen some pretty heavy-handed approaches or calls for this and that. A lot of them is just break them up. Um, what are the things you're seeing and what should they policymakers actually be thinking about right now? Well, yeah, one of the things that I'm hoping is for people to understand the complex nature of this and the nuance here, because the problem we've had so far is that tech is something like a black box for most people. So yeah. for a long time, we had this like, oh, don't do anything. Don't, you know, look inside the black box. If you do, you're going to frighten the genie that gives us all the good stuff. And now that we're seeing all these problems that are coming along, whether it's, you know, interference in our elections or, um, you know, concerns about market power or concerns about privacy, uh, now we're seeing people say, well, you know what? I don't care. You know, we will just tell you to do stuff. You're a magic black box. I want you to start nerd harder and, and, and make things happen. So we're seeing increasingly, in my view, bad laws or bad recommendations that are being made that are just completely unenforceable. Uh, things that they're talking about in Europe, for example, the you must take down all terrorist content in an hour um, or, um, you know, the just sort of let's break them up uh, and as if yeah. that were somehow easy. Uh, I think that, first of all, people don't realize when we say, well, let's break them up, what that means or, or what kind of a record you need for that. There's no kind of dotted line um, that you can just cut through, particularly yeah, uh, for a lot of these uh, companies. Um, and uh, uh, so I would say that uh, I'm hoping that this book will get people to understand, yeah, we should have these things on the table. Um, there should be a point at which we say, yeah, companies need to be broken up because they have too much market power or their products need to be separated and they have to operate through separate affiliates because if we let them work together, it's too easy for them to favor their own products and discriminate against competitors. Or we need to have ways to make sure that uh, they're not uh, uh, rigging elections and, and uh, essentially engaging in fraud on the public uh, through things like armies of bots that make it look like public opinion is shifting one way or another mm -hmm. when it's really just a very small number of people. So, you know, but all of these things are easier said than done and uh, will require a good deal of careful attention to detail in order to get right. And that's why you have a solution then. Uh, in your book, you talk about the Digital Platform Act. Right. What exactly is that? I mean, it's in your title. What exactly is that? What would it do? Well, uh, I come at this from a communications law perspective. I've been practicing communications law for about 20 years. Uh, so I went and looked at the history here, and I said, we have 150 years of history of disruptive communications technologies. And communications technologies are particularly important and disruptive because human beings, we're all about communication. I mean, that's what we're doing here now is just 
talking and people are listening and that's how we process these things. So when we talk about these networks that impact how we communicate with each other, they quickly come to affect how we do business, uh, how we interrelate with each other, Mm -hmm. um, everything about uh, our news and how we look at ourselves as a society. So we have a history here of dealing with these kinds of very disruptive uh, technologies. And uh, what we did in the uh, 1934 was something called the Communications Act, which said, hey, you know, and this wasn't something that they just, you know, thought up. It was actually something that took 20 years of different laws and different regulatory regimes to get right. But ultimately they said, hey, you know what, we now have enough experience with these sorts of technologies to have a framework which will address not just issues of competition, but fundamental and enduring values that have guided our laws around communication and society. So a concern for democracy and what we call a robust marketplace of ideas, Uh, a concern for promoting competition, not just defending existing competition the way antitrust does, but to Mm -hmm. affirmatively promote competition for the benefits that competition brings, uh, for recognizing that uh, on the one hand, we want to use these technologies for public safety, such as emergency alerts, um, and to bring people important information in times of crisis. But at the same time, we have concerns about government abuse, government censorship, government surveillance, uh, and finally, a recognition of consumer protection in this space. Uh, Again, because human beings, we are so much about communicating with each other, it is very easy to engage in fraud, to engage in uh, uh, harassment and harmful behavior. Um, These technologies magnify everything good about human beings and everything bad about human beings. So your act then would create an agency that takes a look at kind of these bigger tech companies and the digital platform specifically, kind of through those lenses that you just ticked through, right? Exactly. And, you know, the idea is that um, it's very hard for Congress when it's dealing with a complicated area of technology, particularly one that's dynamic and shifting, uh, to be able to put these things in law except in the most general kind of ways. An agency can continue to educate itself, can adapt these general principles to specific rules that make sense, uh, can handle a field as diverse as digital platforms in the same way that electronic broadcasting and communications are diverse. They're very different from each other, but because we're talking about the same sorts of fundamental values and the same kinds of technology, uh, in the case of communication spectrum by Mm -hmm. wire, um, in the case of digital platforms, this whole idea of a a multi-sided market uh, and services distributed over the internet, that's exactly the kind of place where you want an expert agency that can engage in regular oversight so that all of these things that we're right now trying to either solve through antitrust as a one-off, like, oh, let's go after Facebook or, or let's go after Google or let's go after Amazon. You have an agency that's able to set rules, that's able to deal with the specific cases and which can also deal with the things that competition and antitrust law don't deal with, sure. such as, you know, threats to democracy or threats to individuals. So one of the, the interesting pieces I in going through your book that I, I, I'm like, whoa, how is this going to work? But it sounds kind of cool is 
This agency could take a look at interconnection among competitors and open APIs. How would that actually work in practicality? I mean, it sounds fascinating. Well, the idea is to have, we have an analogy in physical interconnection. One of the things that has made um, competition in the telecommunications world possible uh, is that we said, okay, you know what, we're going to require that the network have some kind of universal interface where I can attach whatever device I want, yeah. provided it doesn't hurt the network, or where I'm a telecommunications network, you have to interconnect with me so that I can reach the subscribers on your network and you get to reach the subscribers on my network. So we've dealt with this type of problem before. Um, the interesting question here is we're dealing more in the realm of code and intellectual property. Uh, what typically happens, though, is still the same sort of thing that we have um, these days where industry organizations set standards, except instead of it being voluntary and instead of it being entirely industry, uh, what we would have is essentially a, the, the regulatory agency looking over the shoulder of the uh, standard setting bodies to say, well, okay, it has to meet certain types of criteria. If you're going to have proprietary patents or copyrighted uh, um, material in the API, those have to be available and they have to be uh, available at fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory terms uh, so uh, uh, that anybody who wants to can plug into them in the same way that, uh, you know, anybody who wanted to fit anything that went into the standard phone jack could make something that fit into the standard phone jack. Uh, and uh, these things can't become either bottlenecks or ways in which the industry gets together to engage in any kind of anti-competitive uh, um, collusion. So uh, it's a means of basically taking processes that exist now uh, and making them uh, mandatory and ensuring that they serve uh, to promote uh, competition in this way. All right. Very cool. Another interesting aspect or a piece that I found very interesting was you have kind of a novel approach to measuring market dominance for digital platforms because it, it's one of the things that certainly comes up all the time. How can they be market dominant? What market are they even in? Tell me a bit more about that. And even specifically, uh, you, fa you factor in what you call the cost of exclusion, which I think is fascinating. Right. This is really one of the new things that I'm putting out there and that I'm hoping uh, people will uh, respond to. Uh, I and, did. <laughs> uh, which is uh, what makes these uh, platforms so important is that uh, if you are excluded from them, you suffer significant loss. Uh, not all of them, obviously. Uh, and it's not as if you uh, can't live without them. But uh, for example, there was a great set of articles uh, a couple of months ago about a uh, woman who uh, decided to uh, set up a you know, VPN to prevent her from interacting in any way with certain of the uh, uh, the major uh, platforms. And the impacts were astounding. We don't realize how deeply embedded these things are in our lives until you cut them off. And then you notice that, hey, you know, sometimes the cost is just social, like, oh, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Or I don't know, you know, stuff that people expect me to know. I've lost track of my calendars or whatever, <laughs> you know, to seriously 
because so much is hosted now through Amazon's AWS service, if you cut off your relationship with Amazon, you are cutting out half the internet practically. So uh, this is, in my opinion, how we ought to measure whether a platform is sufficiently dominant to require particular types of regulation. Because some types of regulation should be applicable to everybody. Anti-fraud regulation, for example, is something which, yeah, we'd all agree, it doesn't matter if you're big or small, you shouldn't be uh, deceiving people uh, and engaging in fraud or harassment. But uh, for economic regulation in particular, we usually say, well, the market works okay on its own. It's only where one firm reaches dominance or a tipping point that we need to step in uh, and impose some pro-competitive rules to make sure that these companies don't maintain their dominance except by producing better products. So um, antitrust has a lot of trouble dealing with these digital platforms. They don't fit traditional geographic market definitions. They don't fit traditional um, uh, industrial market definitions. So this new metric, cost of exclusion, tells you, do you have market power essentially you have dominance because kicking you off the platform is so painful that you're willing to put up with a lot of my you know nonsense to use a polite word here on the podcast <laughs> i know we're not subject to the fcc <laughs> decency rule but you know are you willing to put up with a heck of a lot you know for the privilege of staying on the platform yeah. um and if it's more than you would expect people to put up with then we should assume that that's a dominant platform. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting metric. So you have this wonderful ebook out, which we'll plug, and I'll tell people where they can get it at the end of the podcast. What what comes next? Are you planning to push forward either individually as an organization, you know, actual uptake of this bill? Are you working to draft things up? Well, what's the next step? The next step is we really want to focus people's attention on this regulatory aspect. Until now, uh, the huge focus has been on antitrust, break them up, or on certain individual elements of regulation like personal privacy. Uh, where we're going next is we want to get people to, first of all, view this as a comprehensive whole. See these companies as a sector of the economy in the same way that we see you know, mobile phones as a you know, distinct uh, uh, sector or cable providers as a distinct sector, um, rather than view them as individual unrelated uh, companies. Uh, then my hope is that we can get Congress to begin uh, actually looking at this as a framework, that instead of having hearings on just privacy or just antitrust, uh, that we would see uh, hearings that would look at, could we pass a Digital Platform Act? Uh, now, well, obviously, it's going to take a while. Um, <laughs> policy uh, does not move fast. Policy no. <laughs> does not move quickly. But, you know, my hope is that we are able to move this in the right direction and, you know, both get the law and regulation that we do need and at the same time uh, avoid seeing some of the uh, the crazy things that we're seeing now uh, um, in the EU that are just not enforceable in the long term. Well, fascinating. Harold's book is The Case for the Digital Platform Act, and you can download a copy at digitalplatformact.com or text PLATFORM to 52886, and you get a free download. So lots of ways to get it. Harold, really a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for having me. 
That's it for this episode of Tech Talk. For the very latest on what CDT is doing to shape a vibrant digital future, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or visit cdt.org. I'm Brian Wazolowski. Thanks for listening.